Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join us over in Stevens Point and Appleton this morning. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. This, of course, is uh, the month of February when uh, this is known as National Marriage Month. I'm sure it has a lot to do with Valentine's Day falling this month as well. So I thought this morning I would uh, talk just a little bit this month, one message on marriage, something I'm prone to do. Uh, I wrote a book recently. Uh, let me tell you what kind of inspired this book. You know, I, I've got six grandchildren now, and uh, you know, you sit down with them and you read to these chubby-faced little toddlers these these cool books, right? And they're big, illustrated books, and and every, you know, they got all these uh, you know cool pictures and stuff, and uh, you know, very short stories. And and I thought I want to write a book like this, and I did. Uh, now, this is not a book for children. Don't, don't, don't fight us for your children. You'll, you will traumatize your children, all right? But I, I just love the format, so, so I did it. So it's called The Beatitudes of Marriage. Now, it's a playoff of words. Jesus, on his famous Sermon on the Mount, gave his nine Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. Beatitude is a fancy word for blessing, okay? So I came up with my nine Beatitudes for marriage but uh, they're not blessings. It's just a play off the word beatitude. These are be attitudes. Attitudes you should be. All right? So it's not terribly complex. And, and guys, I like this book. It's got pictures <laughs> and very short stories. Get to the point. Right, boys? Say what you got to say. Shut up. All right? So uh, this morning, I'm going to uh, share with you uh, my nine Beatitudes of marriage. Shall we begin? Here we go. Number one, if you're going to have a successful marriage, you need to be nice. Everyone say, be nice. Be nice. Be nice. You can't be nice. Of course, people think, I don't have to be nice. I'm married. Right? <laughs> and some of the sweetest people in the world, you see them on church Sunday morning, just praising the Lord. Shaking everybody's hand, how y'all doing? Looking so sweet until we get you home. And then that's when the demons come out. And people seem to go at each other and feel absolutely obligated, not only the right to say whatever nasty thing comes into their head, but feel obligated to do so. Because we have bought into this insane mentality in our culture over the last 50 years. I don't know who the 
psycho was who came up with this concept, but you've all heard this. And they say this, the most important thing in a marriage or relationship is that you're honest with how you feel. You have to be honest with how you feel. So you have people who literally go home and vomit all over each other emotionally. Because they think it's healthy. They think it's good. But it's not. It's destructive. Stop it. Your mama was right. If you don't have something good to say, don't say it. Now, I know we all have issues that we'll need to visit from time to time, and you will have to speak through things and wrestle them out. Might even have to have a bit of an argument, which is fine. In one of my other books, I have a whole chapter on how to fight. It's all right to fight. But this attitude of being mean and nasty and saying everything. And I'm telling you, they have taught people that this is good. Interestingly enough, the Bible warns us against very such thing. The Bible warns us that your tongue has a world of evil in it and that it can destroy all kinds of things. It can actually change the course of your future and light the circumstances of your life on fire with, quote, the fire of hell. This is what the Bible says about your tongue. Of course, psychologists say, no, 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 it's good to say everything you feel. And you have to decide who are you going to believe. Because if you just say everything that comes into your head, it will destroy. Who does it? Nobody does that. Only in marriage are we so crazy. Well, I just want to speak the truth. Yeah, but <laughs> brutal honesty is not always the most positive thing. If you see someone who's really ugly, you don't come up to them and say, Man, you ugly. <laughs> now, it may be the truth, but it's not necessarily helpful or productive. And this has been particularly damaging to the male culture. Of course, I'm of the opinion that the male culture has been under assault greatly in this country. For the last 50 years, they've been turned, trying to turn men into women and trying to convince us that the most important thing is for a man to be in touch with his feelings. If a man would just feel more and be honest with his feelings, that it'll be healthy. But it's not healthy. It's not good. See, women think this way because women tend to feel altruistic things. They feel good things. They do. They tend to, you get a bunch of women, they walk into a dirty room, they say, oh, let's clean this place up. That's very nice. I have never been with a bunch of dudes walk into a dirty room and said, dude, you got a broom? You know, we just, we just think, let's get out of here. <laughs> we, don't, we don't think and feel necessarily. Men feel bad things. If anything, a man needs to learn not to live by how he feels. Somebody say Amen. When a man gets angry, we feel like punching you in the face. Best he not do that. A man sees a pretty girl, he feels like going, ee, best he not do that. This idea of encouraging men, and, and what if we have today? Young men who do exactly those things. Violent, disgusting, gropy little snots. Because they've been taught, oh, just go with your feelings. <laughs> It is destructive. It is destructive to life in general. 
And I promise you, the most successful people in this room, over in Stevens Point, Appleton right now, we've got some very successful men and women that attend our churches. And I promise you, some of the most successful people with the nicest houses and the nicest cars are the people who never ask themselves how they feel. They don't live by how they feel. Because if you live by your feelings, it will suck the life out of you. It will. It doesn't work for you. Anybody ever go to college? Did you feel like studying? You know who asked themselves if they felt like studying? All the people who flunked out of college. <laughs> ever start a business? There's a lot of freedom there, isn't there? All the extra time on your hands? Yeah. You think these people ask themselves if they feel like working 18 hours a day? No. These musicians up here playing skillfully, wonderfully, that we would enjoy every Sunday. You think they asked themselves if they felt like practicing? You know who asked themselves if they felt like practicing? All of you who quit your piano lessons. <laughs> right? Because you don't want to do it. Because it's mind-numbing insanity. That's why musicians are so odd. <laughs> Only very strange people would do that over and over and over and over again and not go insane. But they don't ask themselves how they feel. Deb and I are soon are going to be celebrating our 42nd wedding anniversary. Yes, hallelujah. What a lucky girl. <laughs> and uh, people always ask us, how have you been married for over 40 years? I always say, because we're not honest with how we feel. <laughs> Who does that? It's insane. I'm sure this morning she wakes up, looks at me, and feels like she's been blessed by God. <laughs> I'm sure this morning she wakes up, looks at me, and feels like she married the spawn of hell. <laughs> a simple good morning will suffice. I don't need to hear all that. Now again, are there times you need to share some of the feelings? Just Yes. But even then, you can still be nice. Everybody say, be nice. All right, you want a happy marriage? You want to succeed in your marriage? You need to be content. Everybody say, be content. You need to learn to be happy. If you think you can't be happy unless something changes in your life, you will always be a victim. Life will suck the life out of you. There's people who always think, well, I, gee, if I just had that nicer car, or if I just had a nicer house, if I just had this better thing or that better thing, or if I hadn't married this idiot and married the other idiot, I'd be happy. <laughs> but no, we need to learn as people of faith, Believers in Jesus Christ, filled with his wonderful presence and his spirit, we can be happy no matter what our circumstances. That's the secret to life. Paul wrote about this secret. He says, one of the most famous scriptures in the New Testament, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We know this scripture. We always quote it as a conquering victory verse. It's really not in the context. There are some wonderful conquering victory verses if you want to find them, but... Uh, uh, that one's really not the context of that. The context of that, he's right before it, he says, I've learned the secret. Have you learned the secret? He says, I've learned the secret to be content no matter what my circumstances, whether I have a lot or I have nothing, 
whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full. It doesn't matter. I've learned the secret to be content no matter what my circumstances. And that's when the very next words says, I can do all things. What all things is he talking about? All the things in life that stink. All the things in life that are hard and miserable. I can do all of them because of Christ who gives me strength. James writes about, he says, count it all joy when your life is absolutely miserable. <laughs> you say, can you do that? Yeah. Is it easy? No. But you can still do it. You can still celebrate in the midst of the most awful of challenges, the worst of circumstances. James says to count it pure joy. The in, uh, inclination is, the context is like to celebrate, to throw a party. It's like inviting all your friends over to your house. We're having a party. Really, why? <laughs> My life sucks. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've told you many times, don't get caught up in the little deals of life. The fact that life doesn't go perfectly, it will suck the life out of you. Enjoy the road you're on. Enjoy the journey. Cherish the road. Smell the roses. Look at the scenery. Because the road might be a dead end. Say, how will you know when you get to the end? And if it's a dead end, you turn around and go the other way. That's all. There's people come to a dead end, their life's over. Oh, it's horrible. I can't turn out the way I want it. Oh, really? Goodness, I've lost count of all the dead ends I've gone down. Just another road. Enjoy life. That light at the end of the tunnel might be another train. Just jump out of the way. You gotta learn to be content. I can't be happy unless so and so does this for me. I can't be happy unless my husband does this. I can't be happy. Really? You'll always be a victim. You need to learn to be happy no matter what we go through. We can still have joy inside of here. Happiness is tied often too much to our happenings, but it's not supposed to. Not as people of faith. Our joy is connected to God. It doesn't matter. Sure, it's easy to praise the Lord when you win the lottery. You ever see people who won the lottery? They're rather happy people. They're rather uplifting. Jumping up and down. Ah! Easy to do that. Hard to be that excited when everything's going wrong. But we can still experience pure joy if we'll understand where our joy comes from. Here's an important one. Be connected. Everybody say, be connected. What does that mean? It means get some friends, you people. You married people. Get some friends. Oh, we have friends. I have my friends, and he has his friends. <laughs> no, 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 that's the problem. Because we all have dysfunctional, psycho, crazy people that are our friends. That's why they're our friends. They think as crazy as we do. Wee! And it's fine to have that, but I'm talking about couples' friends. If you, as a couple, do not routinely get with other couples and talk through your crazy, you are going to be miserable. Somebody say amen. Talk it through. Of course, that's very countercultural in America. Just, no, 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 no. No one should know our business. It's our business. Our business. Just the two of you on an island. God never intended marriage to be two people on an island. Just the two of you on an island, you'll turn into cannibals and you'll eat each other. Get off the island. 
talk your crazy through with other people. So, well, I don't want to tell anybody else. Yeah, you're going to tell somebody eventually. Might be one of the pastors at the church <laughs> in a counseling session. Might be a counselor you're paying $150 an hour to. Oh, you're going to tell somebody, I promise you. How about you talk it through when things aren't quite so intense and insane? You might find out, number one, that other people struggle with the same crazy you do. And that maybe they have a perspective that you have not seen. So the argument, I want the thermostat at 68, and she wants it at 70, and I want it at 68. Your friends might say, have you tried 69? <laughs> oh, I never thought of that. You got to be nice. You got to be content. You got to be connected with other people. That's the beauty of being part of a church. You do life together with people. That's what this is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a check in and, and check in and out, you know, like you did your duty for the week or, you know, paid your premium on your eternal fire insurance. Right? The point of this is supposed to be connecting with people, which is hard to do when you come in five minutes late and leave before the lights are out. You know, now, as soon as the pastor says amen, pew! Like a, <laughs> I don't need to go to NASCAR. I just watch people leave church on Sunday morning. <laughs> Hard to do if you don't slow down a little bit and talk to people. Get connected. Get part of a life group in our campuses. Do life with people. You'll find life will be a lot easier. It just is. And it's more fun. What stinks is just being on your little island. That's hard. Get connected. Here's an important one. You need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. Everybody say be prepared. What does that mean? You got to be prepared for what? For the unexpected, the unpredictable, even the predictable. There's actually two things in life you got to be prepared for, which is the unpredictable and you got to be prepared for the predictable. They both drive us crazy. Uh, you know, unpredictable. Man, life, have you noticed life is unpredictable? Stuff comes out you're just not expecting. Trials, tribulations. I remember some years ago, not that long ago actually, my, uh, my wife was really sick. She'd been in the hospital and they'd given her all kinds of drugs and stuff like that. And she's just laying in, you know, she comes home just like, la, 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 la. and I put her to bed on, you know, Saturday night. And she's just all, la, 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 la. So totally, I'm trying to be quiet. So I go to sleep. The next morning I get up early, getting ready for church. And I look at her and she's still just like, la, la, la. I get real quiet. I get up and I go into the bathroom, close the door, go back in the other room, close the door. I'm sitting on the can. All right? Doing my morning meditations. And uh, at the same time, I had a younger brother living with us because his wife had kicked him out of the house. He deserved it. Okay? Uh, but he was living with us and uh, because, you know, we're Latinos, you know, fam you can't escape family when you're Latino. That's why it's so hard for Latinos to fill out some of those unemployment forms or, or work forms, you know, nearest relative not living with you. <laughs> they all live with me. What am I supposed to put here? But, uh, you know, so he's living with us. He's supposed to be there a few weeks, nine, week nine months later, he's still there. I call him the basement troll. And, uh, and all that week, he'd been getting really depressed because his life was stinking. He was ah, spiraling out of control. Well, I got my own issues. 
trying to do with my wife. I'm not paying any attention to him. Anyway, apparently he goes for days without sleep. And in the middle of the night that night, he has a complete manic breakdown. And he just starts hallucinating. He starts going crazy. And he comes up and he storms into the kitchen. He starts arguing with me and yelling at me and threatens to kill me. The problem is, I'm not in the kitchen. (laughs) I'm still sitting on the can. I don't know anything. Well, my wife wakes up and she hears him threatening to kill me. She freaks out because she thinks I'm in there and he's going to kill me. So she calls 911. He's got to come right away. He's going to kill my husband. And she's waiting, you know. Well, finally, I come walking out of the can and she looks at me and goes, what are you doing here? I live here. <laughs> oh, I, thought, I thought you were in the kitchen. Your brother's trying to kill. Well, no, I think she's hallucinating. Seriously, I do, because she's on all these drugs. And I'm like, oh, man. All of a sudden, the cops pull up. Oh, no. What have you done? And we quick run. Well, I put on some pants. And then we quick run outside. And a cop looks at me and says, sir, is somebody trying to hurt you? I looked at the cop. And I looked at my wife. And I looked at the cop. Now, now you know that look your wife can give you? That I'm going to kill you look? Yeah. You should see that look when you're trying to tell a cop right in front of her that she's crazy. Just, just a very bad look. I said, look, man, she's on a lot of drugs. She's like, ah, she's just getting red in the face. And all of a sudden, cop cars come swooping in front of our house. The lights are on. They jump out their weapons, pull this up, surrounding the house. I'm going, what's going on? He yells, he just called in. He threatened to blow up the building. And my wife looks at me and goes, I told you so. (laughs) Of course, now all I'm thinking is, oh, Lord, what do the neighbors think? (laughs) It's Sunday morning at the pastor's house. Cops everywhere, guns pulled. I can picture the old people next to us looking out their curtains going, I knew they had a crack house in there. Something wrong with them people. (sighs) They finally got him. He was... And got some help doing much better. What'd you do? We laughed. <laughs> we just laughed. Some of y'all, you have an experience like that, the world will come to an end. You'd be so upset. You'd be so miserable. Why? Because this unexpected. Seriously, the Bible tells us don't be shocked by the unexpected trial that you're in. As though something strange were happening to you. That's what we think. Something strange is happening. No, it's called life, it's normal you got to be prepared for the unpredictable. Sometimes life is unpredictable. The other bad side of this is sometimes life is predictable, which tends to drive particularly women insane. Let me explain. When it comes to repetitive things, no one seems to be more adept and able to handle that than the female gender. They're great at it. Everything in their life is fairly repetitive, cyclical, everything's cyclical. God even gave you your own monthly cyclicals, you know, just everything's cyclical. But when it comes to a man, it drives them insane. Nothing is more frustrating to a woman than to have to deal with the same issues with a man over and over and over again. It drives them insane. I say, seriously, why are you freaking out? It's life. Pastor, why do I have to keep dealing with the same thing over and over? Because he's still breathing. (laughs) Hang in there. He's got to go eventually. Just hold on. (laughs) 
The next one, be proactive. Everybody say, be proactive. You want a great marriage? You have to be proactive. The Bible says, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. It's amazing to me, shocking to me, how many people in America today have no connection between what they do and what they get. Their life stinks, and they have no idea why their life stinks. Not a clue. And they just think it's unfair. When the point of the matter is, your life probably stinks because you're doing stinking things. Now, in all fairness, a lot of people don't know what they're doing that's causing the problem. That's why come see us. Come again. If you're connected with people, get connected with your church, your pastors, we're here for you. We'll sit down with you. We'll analyze what you're doing and show you what you're doing is having a negative impact. If you think just because you are so cute, you're not supposed to have any problems, you're delusional. You do bad stuff, you're going to have bad results. Your life stinks is because you're doing stinking things. It, you can't escape it. The Bible says God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow, period. Everybody does that. We have to be proactive. People who have great lives have them on purpose. People who have good marriages have them on purpose. Of course, we live under this delusional Hollywood thing that if you, just, you find the right person, it'll be glorious. Oh, and I love, you know, I like chick flicks. I do. I, a lot of guys hate chick flicks. I enjoy them. I also like things that blow up. But if we could do a chick flick with things blowing up, that'd be a win for me. All right? But, uh, you know, I, I, and I love all these romance things. It's great. Yeah, but you notice it always ends with them marrying and the kissing and hugging and the camera pulls out. It never shows them nine months later. You know what I'm saying? Because that's when it starts to hit the fan. Because it's not just a matter of magically finding the right person. The key to successful marriage is really not finding the right person. You want to find the best one you can, single people. Eyes open. Pay attention. Don't be deluded. Look for someone you can do life with. Look for character. As I've told you before, character will last you a lifetime. Sexy has a shelf life. And some of us have hit our expiration dates, I got to tell you. Preach it. I'm running out of time. Keeping going here. Here's an important one. Get the book. Uh, be clear. Everyone say, be clear. Be clear. Habla inglés. Now, this is usually a problem with whoever is the most emotive in the relationship. Usually the woman, but not always. Guess who's the emotive one in our marriage? Oftentimes it's the man, but whoever it is, the problem with emotive people is they always think they're being clear when they're not being clear. They think everybody can tell what I mean. But no, if you don't say it, they don't get it. Somebody say amen. Are you mad? You know I'm mad. <laughs> I told you I was mad. When did you do that? Remember the day we were talking and I went, <sighs> I thought you had gas. <laughs> Again, there's this delusion. If they truly love me, they would know me. Nonsense. You need to say it. You have to be clear. Just don't get angry because the other person doesn't get it. They're not going to get it. You married him, shut up. All right. 
Here's another important one. Be doers. Everybody say be doers. You got to be doers. You got to do the right thing. Again, if you don't know the right thing to do, we'll help you with that. But you got to do it. Thinking it, feeling it, and hoping for it won't do you jack. You actually have to do it. The Bible says we have to be doers of the word. So, yes, you got to do it. You got to do it. Now, these are, these are just, you know, people get mad at me because I stereotype things. They're just generalities, okay? There's always exceptions. Most of the time, there are exceptions in my own life. But they're generalities because generally they're true. Well, now, when it comes to being doers, in a spiritual sense, here's a generality. I didn't even come up with this one. This was uh, Chuck Swindoll. You can yell at him for those of you who listen to Christian radio. But uh, he says that when it comes to this issue, he's noticed two differences. Men, generally speaking, when they hear the truth, they feel compelled to act upon the truth. The way they counter it is they say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it, woman. Leave me alone. Right? The reason there aren't more men in church today is because they don't want to hear it. Right? We got to overcome that. Women, on the other hand, he said, like to hear it, but just like to ask questions about it instead of actually do it. Why is that? Well, why is that? Well, why is that? Ha, ha, ha. All right. Just asking questions. For example, here's an example. If I say to a hundred men in a room, the Bible says you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved you. A hundred percent of those men would go, okay. All right. I got to work on that. I got a hundred women in the room and I say, you're supposed to respect your husband. You know what I'll get? 99 versions of, what do you mean by respect? How does that look like? You got a Bible study about respect? Have you got a book about respect? Can we do a small group study about respect? Amen. You can't say amen, say oh me. You got to actually do it, folks. I don't care if you understand it all. Who cares if you, why? Why is that? Why is that? Number eight, be patient. Everybody say, be patient. Be patient. patient. Marriage is a dance that is perfected over time. You ever go to a wedding and you're watching them do the slow dancing and you see the young people slow dance and and they're just terrible. They hang on to each other and they waddle back and forth like a couple of penguins. They they don't even do it in time. They're just click, click. Click, you know, just randomly, because they don't know how to dance. Not a slow dance. But then you look at the older couples, right? Sometimes the older they are, the more they can float around that room, spinning and twirling them. Sometimes they can be unconscious in doing it. Actually, some of them look like they're unconscious while they're doing it. Just... <laughs> Why? Because they have learned each other's moves. Marriage is a dance that is perfected over time. Be patient, ladies. You can eventually get a man to where you want him. That's the good news. The bad news is then he dies. <laughs> Took so long. When it comes to marriage, think marriage there's, is, is a race. Now, there's two kinds of races. There's sprints and there's marathons. 
Now, in a sprint, the most important part of the sprint is the start. If you don't start exactly right, you'll never make it. That's why these guys are constantly practicing. You know, those of you who are in track, you know, you had to, you know, get in those, those uh, what do you call them? <laughs> the blocks. <laughs> I'm a real athlete myself. And then, and then dude, you got to come out of the blocks. You got to, you to practice over and over and over. Why? Because if you don't start right, you never stand a chance. That's a sprint. The people are making the mistake today. Marriage is not a sprint. And you can tell they think it's a sprint because the most important thing they do is focus on the start. It has to be just right. Don't get married too young. You're only 37. Slow down. <laughs> you got to wait till everything's just exactly right. And you got to think everything through. And you got to work on all the details of your life because if you don't start just right, you'll never make it. Hogwash. Marriage is more like a marathon. Have you ever seen the start of a marathon? Everybody's just standing there. Boom, the gun goes off. And then they take off. You can fall down, have three guys step on your head, get up and still win. <laughs> now you want to have the best start you can, but it's not about the start. Quit telling your kids to get everything perfect before they get married. Stop it. Freaking them out. Got to wait till you have enough money. Who has enough money? I'm 60 years old. I still don't have enough money. If I truly had enough money, I don't think I'd be here this morning. <laughs> You're worshiping God on a beach somewhere. Hallelujah. And then the final one, be dead. Everybody say be dead. Be dead. What is that about? Listen. You can't possibly accurately read the New Testament and not come away with the sense that God wants to kill you. Not your physical you, but your selfish you. Jesus talking about picking up your cross, laying down your life. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, surrendering. God wants to kill you. And there is no more perfect institution designed to kill you than marriage. Because you cannot do it and stay selfish. It's impossible. And all marriages end for only one reason. I know you all have your reasons. Oh, it was this, it was that, it was this, it was that. Not one reason. Somebody gets selfish. It's always just about selfishness. At some point, you need to let go and let God. And here's the shocker. As much as we teach faith, God answering prayers, doing miracles in your life, here's the truth. You cannot escape. You don't always get everything you want. If we have given you that impression, I sincerely apologize. I believe God will answer many prayers in your life, do wonderful things in your life. We'll try to teach you how to trust God and see wonderful things happen. But here's the truth. You don't get everything. God doesn't even want you to get everything you want. Anybody have children? Is it good to give them everything they want? They will say yes, of course. <laughs> but it's not good for them, and it's not good for you. At some point, you don't get it. That thing you think I gotta have before I can be happy, God's gonna say no. That's his answer. Why didn't God answer my prayer? He did, no. Jesus gave a parable, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. 
it remains alone. But if it will die, it will birth new life. Boy, if that doesn't describe a lot of Christians today, planted into the ground, stuffed in there, but they refuse to let go. And they're miserable. And they come and say, Pastor, <coughs> Pastor, it's really dark in here. I keep breathing dirt. And it's cold. And I can't turn. And what should I do, Pastor? What should I do? Die already! Because if you will learn to let go and let God, new life will burst out of you. You'll climb out of the dirt and enjoy the sunshine of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Fun things we discussed this morning, much easier to talk about than to actually do. <laughs> but we need to do them. Lord, help us understand. We need to do the right things in order to get the right things. Help us to be the right way so that we can live the kind of lives that people will look at us and say, man, I want to be like you guys. How do you do it? And we'll be able to share with them the glorious news of your unfailing love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you.